there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Steelers Outpost Podcast, episode number 13. At what price victory? The Steelers pull out another last-second victory, 23-20 over the Cincinnati Bengals. And this game was like no other we've seen this season. But reminiscent of previous uh, battles over the over the seasons. Yeah, deja vu strikes again. It might have not been in like any game this season, but it was weirdly identical to a number of different games that the Steelers have played against the Bengals. Yet another violent, gory chapter in this historically one-sided rivalry, but rivalry nonetheless. It was, a, as I said, what price victory. There were four players, three major players, uh, and a second-team player put out of the game. Right. Obviously, the, the giant storyline of this and there are a lot of them. I've never seen a 24-hour news cycle like we've seen on this game, but the huge story is Ryan Shazier. And I don't know about you guys, but that whole game was difficult for me to watch up until the very end when I was just caught up in the drama. But Shazier, violent, just injury. I mean, terrifying. Looking at that guy, wondering if an amazing, great player and a great young man is paralyzed. You know, when you saw him hit, I saw him crumple immediately and knew, oh, my goodness, something's wrong. Uh, a little encouraged when he rolled around and was moving his arms at least. But, you know, you hear reports that he wasn't moving his legs and stuff like that. So it's it was hard as a fan to get over that. I can't believe the Steelers players were able to get over it. And it, it's really a testament to their wherewithal that they were able to do that. But that basically dominates the storylines of the games. And it really affected the actual play, too. So we're still praying for Ryan Shazier. The updates are encouraging. It looks like it's trending upwards, but we still don't know exactly what's going to happen. Obviously, we hope for the best for Shazier. I, I think you said it before. This 24-hour news cycle is coming up with nothing. There's no information on him. It's, it's only encouraging because we don't have worse information. They're just observing him, talking about moving back to Pittsburgh. But they don't talk about movement. Uh, they, uh, he, he did send out a tweet. I guess that's positive, but nothing about his physical condition. That's fine. I mean, we've yeah, got hit I mean, after all. Since he got hit, I've been on pins and needles on the phone, on Bleacher Report, and on Twitter, just waiting for an official update. I guess they have to, you know, they actually might need more hours to to see if the feeling comes back uh, properly. Obviously, there's been a lot of references to Tommy Maddox's spinal contusion. Um, for anybody who doesn't know already, they're basically debating whether the injury is one of two things. One is a spinal contusion, which would be unfortunate. That's like actual bruising and damaging of the spine, and that could be uh, long-term damage or something like that. Or more hopefully, it could be a spinal concussion, which is similar to an injury that Tommy Maddox suffered back in the day, like 2004 or something like that. And you can lose feeling in your limbs and your extremities for anywhere from up to like 15 hours to like two days. But then you can be totally fine. Like Tommy Maddox missed a week when he had a spinal um, concussion and then he was back like nothing had ever happened. So we're hoping for that for Shazier, but I guess the requisite amount of time hasn't really passed for us to make that judgment yet. So the loss of uh, perfect. I mean, let's talk about the Juju's Juju's hit. What I, what's interesting is, was that retribution? Does a guy make up his mind in a bang-bang play like that? Oh, I see Perfect coming at him. I'm going to take a shot at him. Or is it just, there's a guy coming at him and he made a hit? He made a hit. He's a crusher. Juju's a crusher. So 
the emphasis by the media and by the NFL on player safety, as much as the NFL contradicts itself on that by putting extra games into the season and um, not and <laughs> allowing Vontae's perfect to be in the NFL. We don't know how true those um, desires really are sometimes, but the outrage that we've seen over the past 24 hours, it seems like a lot of this stuff was overshadowed by people wanting to scapegoat Juju for this violent game. Okay. So he, he peeled back, and as he does many times, he crushed a guy in a block. That guy was Vontae's perfect. Was the block illegal? Totally. He hit him right in the head. I mean, that's how it goes. Maybe he did see it was Vontae's at the last minute. I think it's a pretty obvious guy to see, although it was very bang-bang, and he wanted to crush him as hard as he possibly could. Well, the hit was illegal, and the taunting was... It was unnecessary. Well, now as that we a Steelers won the game... Fan, you now that we won the that... game, I think it's fine. It could go on the front page of the Steelers' website. I don't – you get – this game tests your humanity so many times because after Shazier got hurt, I didn't know whether to feel okay about watching a football game when there's a great young man who could be paralyzed because of a game. Um, and then later, when Vontae's perfect gets exploded by the new fan favorite in Pittsburgh – you obviously hope that Vontaze isn't paralyzed or horribly injured. You, you can't hope that. But with his history, <laughs> you couldn't help but be excited when you see the guy get decleated. Well, now, like I said before, Juju deserved the penalty. Absolutely. This suspension, this seems like a whole other thing. This seems super reactionary once again from the NFL. They got scared because Twitter was set ablaze because of what a violent game this was. And it was overly violent. And these games have been overly violent with the Steelers and the Bengals, and it really needs to get tamed down. But it seems like the suspension was a knee-jerk reaction to uh, they felt like people thought the game was violent. We need to do something. Let's suspend someone. Well, I wonder what scale the NFL uses to um, adjudicate these transgressions because you have um, – Gronkowski getting one game suspension for premeditated uh, assault. This was a right. bang bang play that, yeah, bad hit and the taunting, but they both get one game suspension. And I, I actually think you should have gotten suspension if the NFL serious suspensions is going to be what it takes. But what is the weighting you give each of those incidents? Yeah, exactly. You you put it perfectly with the Gronk thing. It's premeditated like potentially career ending type injury juju absolutely made an illegal hit and he probably could have he probably had time to avoid that and hit the guy in the shoulder but that was a football play and it was actually the block that helped his running back get the first down right but the nfl they're they're just clowns the nfl office with these suspensions it's just totally arbitrary knee-jerk bunch of crap that they do now, should Juju got a, should George Aloka got suspended as well, in addition to Juju? And in one way, I, I definitely see the benefit of suspending those guys because there need to be real punishments that players will incur if they're hitting people in the head. You really need to find a way to motivate these guys not to make hits like that. So, you know, I do see where they're coming from. Can I tell just, you where I think it made a difference? Where? I think it made a difference when Bud um, Dupree had Andy nice. Dalton in his grasp. Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced that um, mm. Bud thought uh, Dalton had let go of the ball on a yeah, pass. Totally. And he yeah, was yeah. afraid of continuing with his move and throwing Dalton to the ground and getting penalized. Absolutely. Well, and, and those things are – it's like I've said with Vontae's perfect the whole time. Now, I want to kind of clarify my statements from earlier. You, you don't – I don't want any player to get injured. I hate Tom Brady with a burning passion. Why? Because he's crushed my dreams over and over again since I was a child. But I don't want to see Tom Brady get hurt. I don't want to see any players get hurt because that's just barbaric and bizarre if that's something you want to see. Um, will it help you win a game against them? Yeah, but I'd rather beat them at a full strength. And you just don't want to see other human beings get hurt like that. Vontae's perfect. I don't want to see him get seriously hurt but he is a strange case and i've and, and he's one of the biggest examples for me for why the nfl doesn't truly care about player safety they have cracked down on him a bit more but this guy 
has tried to intentionally end careers over and over again. He did it with Cam Newton. He did it with Greg Olson. He did it with Antonio Brown. By the way, before the game, saying that Antonio Brown faked the concussion that kept him out of the AFC Divisional game. Obviously, that's a bunch of crap. I don't know if Vontaze is really a bad person. I hear that he's fine off the field. But to me, he's just an example of a guy who is physically unable to control his emotions when he's on the field. And then he goes out there like an Sue and intentionally tries to end people's careers. Whether it's premeditated or not, that's the way he acts. So when he gets jacked up like that, I don't like when he got when he got on the stretcher, I got a little more solemn. I don't want to see the guy get hurt like that. But you do want to see the guy get busted up. Juju just has to be smarter about hitting people in the head. Well, <clears throat> the Steelers got a lot thinner because uh, Tyler Medikavich also went out of the game with a shoulder. We still are missing Mike Mitchell, uh, Joe Hayden. I mean, we we dipped down into the cornerback realms. We're, we're now pulling people off the street, seeing if they <laughs> the jersey fits. So that, that does not bode well for the future. Let's hope Medikavich's injury is a one-game, half-a-game uh, situation and that Mike Mitchell, I don't know what happened to him. He's been banged. I mean, he, the guy takes a lot of flack from Steelers Nation, but the man is a warrior. He's a he warrior. gets in there and he plays a lot of games, hurt, and I guess he's kind of catching up with them. Okay, so before we get into like the regular um, speedway of the Steelers Outpost podcast, if you will, I guess the last thing I would say is, why do you think Steelers Bengals is as freaking violent as it is? Steelers Ravens is still the best rivalry in the NFL, in my opinion, and it's incredibly physical, very physical every time, but it doesn't have this level of gore. Ben Roethlisberger even said last year, I think, with this, with the Baltimore Ravens, it's hard-hitting football, but there's respect there. He said with the Cincinnati Bengals, he's scared that people are going to get hurt, and every time they play, people get hurt. I think it has to do with the Cincinnati fans. Hey, right, damn them. Go Steelers. Battery throwing incident. <laughs> I uh, have yeah. cousins who attended a game and in Cincinnati were spat upon. Unfortunately, they they did wear their uh, black and gold and were targets. And I think that the uh, there's a whole culture there. Well, I think there is too. I mean, I'll I'll never. I'm the elephant of uh, Steelers incidents, particularly when it pertains to Ben Roethlisberger, and I'll never forgive the Cincinnati crowd for throwing cans at him when he got hurt in that AFC championship game. I think that was right before he led us to a glorious victory and knocked him out of the playoffs for the five, fifth consecutive year. Um, that is when it was. But but those things are tricky because at the same time, 99.9% of the Bengals fans, or at least 99%, I'm sure, aren't doing those things. So it could easily, just as easily be a Steelers fan doing something like that. Um, You're ruining the narrative, as- though. Right, but I want to uh, offering talk a glittering about generalization to explain this thing that can't be explained. And I'm just well, I think it can be explained. I think there's a few reasons. Go for it. And one person does have a lot to do with it. I do think Vontae's perfect has a ton to do with this. You look at the one game that he didn't play; it was the one clean game they played. But there's a couple things that are interesting because the media asked Tomlin that in his press conference after the game, and he pointed to the fact that he thinks that. It's AFC North divisional football, and it's not just the AFC North. It's all the divisions. They have rivalries like that. Well, that was a bold-faced lie because we know no one comes close to Steelers, Bengals, and no one probably even comes close to Steelers, Ravens. But he did make a great point that a lot of these games that get out of hand usually come later in the year, in December. And I think that there's something to be said for the fact that that's when the playoff race is going on, there's some more desperation on the part of these teams. And they're both really competitive. And then now there's just all this history that's built up on top of it that it just gets dramatic, particularly in those later season games. The first the first game of the year was totally clean. I wonder if it'll be too weird for the – like I almost feel like the NFL has to take a break from this game. It's getting so out of hand. I wonder if they would go so far as to maybe schedule the game twice in September next year. I know that's kind of extreme, but maybe something like that would lower – lower the implications um i don't know it'll be interesting to see if this game has any implications will people have a memory of losing this many players uh the bengals racking up a record number of penalty yards this has this will have an impact yeah and 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 honestly 
most of the Bengals players are clean players. But Vontae's perfect is such a lightning rod. And and I don't people know his reputation, but I don't like it when people let him off the hook as being like a passionate guy or something. There are no other players besides maybe Indomic Sue, who hasn't had an incident in a few years. There are no other people who are twisting people's legs on the bottom of the pile, ramming their legs in, into the shoulder of Ben Roethlisberger when they sacked him in the AFC wildcard game, headhunting Antonio Brown, hitting him directly helmet to helmet like that. And then the big personality on all the bull crap he talks. He's been a lightning rod for this kind of stuff. And as long as he's around, I think that there's still going to be some violence. So hopefully they can find a way to get under it. I don't love the Juju suspension. I still, and Iloka even, I feel like it was reactionary. But at the same time, I got to check myself and realize maybe that's what it's going to take for the NFL to really make sure that these players don't go head hunting. Well, let's watch and see if they're consistent, if the penalties are consistently applied. I mean, it yeah. seems like they're trying to get on a track. Uh, we could split hairs about whether Gronkowski had was more transgressive than Juju's and whether it was within a foot, whether it was a football play or just simply revenge. And I do think that was pretty obvious. The play was clearly open for Gronkowski over, but uh, let's watch oh. and learn. So let's yeah. go into the three themes of the show. The first one we've already talked about the loss of Ryan Shazier, which is profound for the Steelers. This harkens back to the loss of Troy Palomalu when it was like uh, the Celtics losing Larry Bird. There was a palpable loss of uh, defensive prowess. And yeah. I'm, I'm worried about that. And I think that showed up during the game. We really weren't pl- – I think Matikiewicz played a, 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 an okay game, but clearly there were there were just gaps in the in the defensive line that were gonna, weren't getting plugged up. Yeah, your Troy Palmalu comparison is, is really accurate. They're both these super unique players who have that huge boom or bust factor. They are so fast that they almost run themselves out of as many plays as they run themselves into. But when they run into it, they make game-changing plays. And also, since they cover so much ground, it enabled Dick LeBeau with Troy and now Keith Butler with Shazier to run all these crazy exotic defenses because you got these guys in the middle who can cover so much ground. Number one, first and foremost, impact is the um, is the emotional thing. We got to pray for Ryan Shazier, even if he doesn't play football again let's hope that he's walking and he's okay we have no idea what his status is going to be but from a strategic standpoint this is a major major blow to the Steelers it's not un you know it's not something that spells total doom and gloom especially with the offense starting to heat up the way it is but it's a pretty big blow and obviously it affected that game particularly in the first half theme number two the Bengals is 13 penalties for 173 yards. If the Bengals didn't incur that kind of penalty, I would have rated our cornerbacks a lot lower. I think the cornerbacks benefited from about, oh, 100 yards of those penalties. Yeah, and I wouldn't even just say the the penalties. I would say it's just a good old-fashioned Bungles meltdown. I never get tired of seeing those. Ben Roethlisberger moves to 25 and four in the state of Ohio, and this rivalry gets more and more one-sided. Not so. The Bengals are a, a terrible second-half team offensively, as it is. They kept that trend going. They exploded out of the box in the first half. They sucked in the second half. They got a record number of penalties, as they usually do against us. So for all of Burfick's lightning rod ism. We're the ones who are able to withstand that, and they self-implode, and once again, we make a huge comeback. That's the biggest Steelers comeback since the the great one against the Denver Broncos. What, what's their nickname? No Fly Zone. A 17-point comeback. So Steel- the Bengals did not give this game to the Steelers. Let's be sure of that. The Steelers took this thing away from them, but the Bengals had a big hand in that as well with their usual implosion. Theme number three. The Steel Stars continue to shine, and we are talking uh, killer bees. Yep. So, (laughs) boys are back in town, ladies and gentlemen. The sample size seems to be there. Ben and Coach T talk about the season usually in quarters, and their goal is to go 3-1 and in every quarter of the season. Well, if you divide the season into the last four games we've played, I guess the second half of the Colts game is when this stuff really started to come together. We'll get into more detail with this later. But A.B. has been on all season. 
he, this might be one of his best seasons ever. I mean, he has that kind of season every year, but he's really stepping it up this year. Benny and Le'Veon were playing fine, but they weren't game-breaking. Now, these past four games, they've been game-breaking. They, the sample size is there. I think that they both have caught their momentum, and as a result, the rest of the offense has. Martavis has been getting a little bit more involved, and of course, our favorite new killer B, Boz, once again played a huge role. So now we can start feeling confident going into the playoffs. I never felt confident with this top-ranked defense through the first half of the season because I felt that it was a bit of a mirage, like a lot of people did. I knew that this team could, the way that this team is going to win the Super Bowl is with the complimentary defense and take those mega stars to, to, to ignite into a, a glorious ball of victory. And it looks like they're starting to get their momentum now. Steeler stars continue to shine. It looks promising going forward. We're going to move into the five pivotal plays for the game. The first one, 30 seconds left in the half. The Steelers scoreless at that point when Ben hit Le'Veon for a 33-yard screen. Beautiful. Thing of beauty. Ben, he's pretty good with like 30 seconds or under in, in a half. It's so weird how you see the same game get played out so many times with the team. How many times have we seen the Steelers score zero or three points in a whole first half? And then get the ball back with like a minute or left, or like a minute or less left in the half, and then kind of drive down the field easily, just very aggressively, and make a field goal at the end of that, like at the end of the half. I guarantee you, Ben never did a book report before midnight of the night before a book report was due. <laughs> You're probably right, and neither did I. But uh, what? I'm still here, and he's doing things too. Oh, uh, just kidding. Regardless. That two-minute offense, that's where it's at. I mean, the 30-second offense is apparently where it's at. I felt pretty good, actually, after they had that field goal. You just Sometimes with Ben and this offense, they need to break the saran wrap. After re-watching this game, we'll get into this in a minute, the first half uh, offensively didn't yield anything, but they were knocking on the door the whole time. So once they broke that saran wrap, that was big time, and that 33-yard screen to Le'Veon is what, what set them up for that. Pivotal play number two, Cincinnati won first and 10 on its 21-yard 20, line with 10 minutes left to go in the game. Uh, Andy Dalton drops back and is dropped by Vince Williams for an eight-yard loss. Yeah, you felt good for Vince there too because everyone was affected by the Shazier injury, but it seems like Vinny was affected the most. Like Those two guys are really close. They're, they're bros. They're shake and bake. They're the bash bros. And he was visibly upset. Um crying on the sidelines and on the field a little bit. Cam Hayward had to console him, you know, on the sideline. And you see how much these guys care for each other. And that was the first thing I thought of when he crushed uh, Andy Dalton's rib cage with a reckless abandon, as he also careened towards the Steelers' middle linebacker sack record, which I think he's dangerously close to. But anyways, that's when the Steelers' defense took over. The Steelers were soon able to tie the game right after that. And that was the first sack of the game. So that really put the Bengals behind the chain. And I feel like that is when the momentum officially shifted towards Pittsburgh. Huge play by Vinny Williams on, well, unblocked. Still a huge play. Pivotal play number three. The Steelers had the ball second and 10 at its own 40 when Ben hit a um, Le'Veon for 12-yard 12 uh, yard game. But that is when Juju was flagged for the penalty and moving us back to second and 16. Ben uh, again dropped back. Hit A-B for 25, 24 yards and a first down. Yeah, those penalties are usually killer. And that was when the Steelers were barely just trying to get some stuff together. They scored a touchdown at the end of that drive as well, I believe. So that it, what a crucial play. Usually those things kind of... Was that the first touchdown that they had? Uh, fourth. No, that was the game-tying touchdown. That was the game-tying so touchdown, exactly. That penalty, when that penalty happened, the Steelers were driving to tie the game. Uh, hopefully they were down by seven, so hopefully they would get the touchdown. And you get a first down, you get into Cincinnati territory, you're feeling really good, and all of a sudden it gets called back with a 15-yard penalty. You end up in second long, immediately gets erased. You even gained a couple yards from where you were at. So that was an enormous play. Steelers went on to score inside the game. Great throw by Ben. And him and A.B. have really started to figure out this like 20-yard zone beater. <laughs> 
that's like a 40 yard throw, by the way. He's like Captain America, just slinging that shield in there to old, to Flash. Pivotal play number four with a fourth down and one yard to go. Uh, Le'Veon hits the out, hits the C gap, goes outside, gains, I think, uh, four yards on that play, gets the first down, sustains and the drive. In, and in the process, puts Dre Kirkpatrick on yet another poster. <laughs> the victim of the stiff arm doom from last time just absolutely ran over him, stepping on him as he ran through. That play was so cool, by the way, because Ben took forever uh, doing the little fake snap count, hard count stuff, trying to draw the guys off sides. And I've seen this a couple times uh, with the Steelers. Sometimes they try to draw the other team off sides, and then if they don't go, they just take the delay of game or they call a timeout. And every once in a while, Ben just calls it all the way down to zero and then he snaps it and i feel like there's an element of surprise in that too because if you've seen the steelers play on tape enough you know that he tries to do these things where he draws you offside so i feel like it's difficult for them to anticipate the snap count if they don't know if he's really going to snap or not and then Le'Veon just made an awesome run so that was huge great decision to go for it on fourth down we both said that they needed to do that and they rolled the dice and they got it done it's great pivotal play number five Cincinnati, first and 10, and it's 39. Third quarter, 7.50 left to go. Andy Dalton throws down the middle to A.J. Green for 61 yards and a touchdown, which was nullified by a penalty, offensive holding, uh, bringing the play back and and salvaging the cornerback's already very low grade. Yeah, so this is the opportune time to tell you that Gruden and the bald guy who he announces with were killing me. This whole game, they were some whiny little bastards whining about all these calls that happened. They were, okay, in their defense, at some points it was over policed. Uh, on the other hand, like, aren't we sitting here the next day talking about how violent it was? So doesn't that seem like it was kind of a good place to be? That hold by Gio Bernard, it could have gone either way. I mean, he had both arms around TJ Watts, like, uh, torso. Or so. I was going to call it a tree trunk, but he let go pretty quickly. So if they didn't call it, you know, you could you could see how you'd get away with it. But it, it definitely wasn't an egregiously bad call or anything like that. He certainly slowed him down, and TJ Watt was heading in there to tackle the quarterback. That being said, that doesn't change the crappy coverage in the secondary, who, in my mind, they lucked out. But in my mind, they gave up yet another 50 yard touchdown pass. That's like six and five weeks or five and four weeks for them. And of course, in typical Steelers fashion with Artie back there. And, and I think that was Sutton at that time, the rookie, not only do they give up the catch, but they don't, they bumble around and don't even tackle the guy before the touchdown. That's super alarming. That's a knock on Keith Butler. We still haven't fixed that. That's a problem. Let's move into the grades for the game. We'll start. With the offensive grades. grades. The offense racked up 374 total yards, 282 passing, 92 rushing. We were 4 for 12 or 33% for on third down and 1 for 3 in the red zone. Yeah, we were aggressing those third down and red zone percentages much like we did in the first game against the Bengals where it was a cavalcade of Chris Boswell field goals to beat them. But... Like kind of the rest of this game, and similar to the Colts game, it was a tale of two halves. Just they had success moving the ball in the first half, the Steelers did. But for whatever reason, it seemed like on second down, they would throw an incompletion and kind of dig themselves into a hole for third down. They just couldn't couldn't convert the, the necessary third downs in the first half. And so they were moving the ball, but they, they just couldn't break that saran wrap, like we were saying. Now, the second half is a totally different story. It was dominance. The, t- the possessions went touchdown, punt, field goal, touchdown, field goal. And you really have to put a lot of stock into the fact that this team in the last four weeks has won three, three of the games on the last play of the game with the last second field goal where Ben Roethlisberger has reemerged as the fourth quarter magic man and, and to not blink and to lead the team to that many victories. That's amazing. I think a lot of people are complaining that why are we needing these type of victories against teams? We should be blowing out, but 
I'm looking at that as a positive as, man, this team really knows how to get it done when they need to get it done. So they did some great things in the second half, but at the end of the day, the standard has been raised. We know Ben and Bell are back. This offensive line needs to, you know, continue to assert itself. We give the offense a grade of B. Moving on to Ben, quarterback, speaking of whom. 24 for 40 for 290 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Curious interception, but he seems to find one of those a week lately. He had a 7.3-yard average. Yeah, so we'll try and kind of speed through these grades a little bit more. We know we spent a lot of time on the extracurricular stuff at the beginning, but like I said a million times already, Ben is back. Uh, this year still includes the random mechanical breakdown I think that there was an NFL writer who actually phrased it just like that, which is perfect. That's how I see it. Sometimes he runs into to the left and doesn't even step with his foot and just throws it into the dirt. And then it also it includes the ill-advised interception on third down, which he's kind of having once per game. That was his worst throw of the day on that first drive, that interception. But other than that, he maybe missed three or four throws all game. He looks confident. He is sliding around in the pocket. And he looks like the big, strong-arm quarterback that we've been talking about all year. He's firing the ball into some tight windows with supreme accuracy. And then, like I said before, the fourth-quarter comebacks. This is encouraging. He's got his mojo. He is figuring out the defense over the course of the game. I think Ben actually had a pretty good day. We give him a grade of A-. minus. Le'Veon Bell had an insane, another insane day, 182 yards, 106 of which were through the air with a touchdown. Um, I don't know what you say. I, I like to look at the next-gen stats and find out that Le'Veon spends approximately 50% of his time behind the offensive line, <laughs> finishing yep. his cigarette before he finds an opening and bursts through for seven yards. Le'Veon and Ben must be drinking the same Kool-Aid. They must be smoking the same cigarettes on the sideline before they march on out there to dominate because it looks like Le'Veon Bell again. We said this last week, but, man, he is getting fantastic yards after contact over and over again. The old Le'Veon Bell hopscotch hesitation move was super effective. He, he had one of his longest standstills behind the line of scrimmage of the year, uh, during this game was super effective. He is beating guys one-on-one. -on -one. He's trucking guys. He's catching the ball. He's embarrassing Drake Kirkpatrick. It's a thing of beauty. He is the man. He's back in action. Le'Veon gets a grade of A+. Plus. A+. Plus. Speaking of a man of action, Antonio Brown had eight receptions, broke the, cent broke the century mark, uh, 101 yards with one touchdown. Uh, he had 15 targets and, as I mentioned, eight receptions. He had two clear drops, and it's impossible to attribute it to anything. Uh, concentration was at the toe. Obviously, the toe doesn't have anything to do with the hands, but maybe the, uh, the pain yeah. uh, welled through his appendages and resulted in the drop, but uh, that's okay. Yeah, I'm sure he was really uh, uncomfortable out there. It was pouring rain, and he had the toe injury, so that might have led to some of the lack of concentration, but... The man is an MVP candidate. You, he's not going to get it because you got Russ, Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz playing out of their minds and Tom Brady doing what he does. But it's unbelievable what he's doing. This is yet another signature AB game, especially with the toe thing going on. The TD catch was unreal. He got Buzz Lightyear blasted by that dude in the head and held on to that thing to, to basically win the game, obviously to tie the game. But... Obviously, you don't win the game without that. He, the two or three drops were a little alarming. The one in the end zone would have been a tough catch, but he already had it in his stomach, so you'd like to see him make that. But overall, A.B. did what A.B. does. He gets a grade of A. If we talk about the other wide receivers, uh, nine receptions for 61 yards. Juju and Eli, a somewhat inconsequential 21 yards if we're just considering the receptions. Marty had uh, another four receptions for 40 yards. Yeah, every game, that's his stat line. But he's adding, he's adding a few yards. We're not talking about extra uh, special teams, but he is adding some stats as a oh, kickoff return. Artists would be overstating his capabilities because he, is the, he has some excellent posture in his runbacks. He's flying. I mean, it makes you feel standing straight up and down back there earlier. Yeah, it's so weird, but it works. That's Martavis. He just needs to catch some of these damn jump balls. 
He is like yeah. 0 for 25 on the year. And I know, and dude, you're an alien. He's 6'4". You got to catch those ones. And he put on a lot of muscle, as you pointed out earlier in the season. It's, it's as, not as if he isn't a strong guy. and He should be able to grab this ball out of the air more than he does. Yeah, he doesn't have quite the coordination for that type of stuff. But he used to make those one in every three. And that's what you're looking for. Ben's been pretty accurate throwing to him recently. I think at some point it's going to break. And hopefully it's, you know, in the AFC championship game to beat the Patriots. I don't know. But, yeah, we just need a little bit more from them. Obviously, we talked about Juju already. They get a grade of B minus. B minus. The offensive line had a fairly good day. They had uh, they led uh, with 92 yards rushing. That's a 4.2 average. Good for the Steelers in the last, over the last three games. They permitted one, uh, one sack of Ben. One sack and D. Yeah, they were pretty good. They got a good push. Familiar with the Bengals, they were pushing and not getting pushed. We finally got over freaking four yards of carry. Now, Ben was under duress all night, and he did a good job moving in the pocket, but I think that they did a pretty good job protecting him. So we'll give them a grade of B+. The tight ends, again, sort of uh, translucent, if you would, in this game. Two receptions for 22 yards. I saw Grimble got a lot more action. Yeah. I guess almost catch doesn't count for anything, but there was a, a at least a flash of athleticism there on a pass. He, it was a tough. It would have been a tough grab. He didn't get it, but uh, interesting how much he's being inserted there. Both tight ends in many of the plays in the game. He did a nice job on that screen pass too. I mean, he's clearly the most athletic, best mover of all the tight ends. Even if Vance has the long speed, but we'll be happy when Vance comes back because he brings a lot to the running game, and I'd like to see. Vance and Ben start getting that long ball connected again. They're just not a huge part of the game plan here right now. Um, although we do appreciate Jesse's uh, third down conversion late in the game to help win the game. We're going to give them a grade of C+. Plus. Which takes us into the coaches' grades. Coaches. We'll start with Mike Tomlin. Um, another good win. Kind of resembling last week with another last-second win. A, a lot of this thing seemed like uh, execution to me, not uh, coaches' issues. This, to me, was Tomlin's finest hour. And I'd put this up against any other game he's had, you know, maybe even besides the Super Bowl that he won. To win that game, despite all the adversity that they faced, it speaks volumes about the chemical makeup and the character of this team. We keep talking about the culture of the team when they play down to their opponents, but like we said before, the sample size is big enough now. This team does not blink. That's what he says. He said last year, we don't blink. You see me blinking? I'm not blinking. You blink, I cut your eyelids off. Larry, unbelievable speaker. This is amazing. You see the team that he has sculpted and they didn't blink in the face of adversity. Awesome job by Mike Tomlin. I can't believe a team wins that game with that stuff happening in Shazier in the first half and then just the technical aspect of having to get past a good defense like that when you dig yourself down by 17. Tomlin gets a grade of A+. Todd Haley, himself having a good game. Not exactly a uh, an offensive... I mean, if we could have put two offensive halves together, it would have proved the genius of his play calling. Right. Well, to- uh, Todd and Benny are both kind of rising at the same rate. I'm really liking this play calling. He calls different game plans for different teams, and I'm just seeing receivers catch the ball in different places than we've seen them catch it before. You know, Jesse James ran that that little drag route. I haven't seen him run that all year. AB's catching it in the middle of the field more now. Um, Martavis, they've really learned how to leverage that slant, and he's doing a good creative job getting Le'Veon starting that pass game. He's He's really catching fire too, I think. Todd Haley gets a grade of A minus. A minus. Keith Butler, he's uh, suffering from his talent being whittled away man by man. But uh, as you pointed out earlier in the show, it's a tale of two halves. It was it was quite a dominating performance in the second half. Again, I think there was an element of execution. Uh, the game plan looked solid. Uh, there were only uh, what two splash pass plays and four runs of over ten yards. We're giving Keith Butler a B. Let's move on to the defense here. And 
while there were only two splash plays allowed, I'm including that AJ Green splash play. I know it didn't happen, but I mean, it could have just as well. It was just the, the opinion of a referee. Like I said, I agree with the call, but if they hadn't called it, I would have agreed with that as well. That needs to disappear. So the first half, I don't know how much you can chalk that up to the emotional just draining of losing Shazier. Um, I think that definitely has a, a big deal to do with their performance. I mean, how could you not be affected by something like that? But that being said, I mean, they were getting pushed around. They were getting gashed up the middle for the first time in a long time. Didn't really like that. What was it? Like 253 yards in the first half, but 100 in the second half. The Bengals got, a, I think, a field goal in the second half, and then the rest were punts, and they finally got some sacks. Similar to last game. Again, the, the they got multiple sacks on one of the Bengals' last possessions to key the victory. Identical to the last time they played Bengals in Heinz Field in a renegade-inspired defensive stand. Uh, they must have been playing in their helmets or something this time because Vinny and Bud sealed the game a little bit at the end of this one. But uh, they did hemorrhage a little bit, but they really came through in the second half. The defense gets a grade of B-. minus. B-minus. Defensive line tallied three tackles, no sacks, no quarterback hits. I'd say it was kind of a lackluster rush. But when you, uh, you you kept looking at the graphics, that Andy Dalton was getting rid of the ball as soon as he cocked his arm back. So part of that might have been the rush. Part of it was the fact that Dalton had a game plan that was uh, just dumping the ball. Dalton played really well. They gave you a couple of those great sky cam views on some of the replays from behind him. And the Steelers were setting up in those zones. And like we've said before, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, those kind of guys, they can pick you apart with that stuff, but it's difficult. Well, Andy Dalton was picking them apart, making some really accurate throws and nice throws. So he played well. You're right. He was getting rid of the ball. But at the end of the day, they got pushed around a little bit. I think this was one of Cam's worst games, even though he did have a couple of really crucial plays. But they, they didn't do a great job. They did okay. So we're going to give the D-line a grade of C. One sack, two quarterback hits, and one tackle for loss. Thought it was a solid game. Yeah. I mean, obviously the specter of, of Ryan's absent hangs over it. Vinny, I think, made some plays. Um, Tyler was not that was not that great. Mikitovich, or Matikovich, was uh, a little lackluster, honestly. I know he's a fan favorite, but... He really got pushed around a little bit and, and missed a couple blatant wide-open tackles, and he made some too. I think LJ Fort got in there and made some decent plays, but news has come through the pipeline that the Steelers signed our old buddy Sean Spence off the street just recently, and they're going to need him because Tyler and Ryan are going to be out for the foreseeable future. They did okay, but like I said, they got gashed up the gut. Didn't like it that much. Inside linebackers get a grade of B. The outside linebackers had four tackles, one sack, and one quarterback hit. And when I uh, spoke of a lackluster rush, I have to apply that, too, to the outside linebackers, both T.J. Watt and Bud. Bud was the one who got the sack. But I, I have to say, a lot of the game, whether he was just totally responsible for outside contain, uh, it looked more like he wasn't. He, he lacked enthusiasm. He wasn't going all out to, uh, to rush. I think he goes all out, and sometimes I see him get this super fast first step. But it it is worth noting that he got the sack on third down that enabled the Steelers to get the ball back and go win the game. But I remember when we were watching that live, I was just fixated on him before the ball snapped. It snapped, and I said out loud, oh, and there goes Bud Dupree getting pushed out of the play. It was pathetic. He tried to speed rush, and the lineman just punched him a little bit, and he went flying way out of the play. Luckily, Dalton held on to the ball for an extremely long time. And to Bud's credit, he hustled back in and made the play, which helped the Steelers win the game. But those are the kind of sacks he gets. They're hustle sacks. Uh, he did have the one other play where he let Dalton go. That's kind of a freak thing. That was a nice pass rush. But other than that, he's not getting any pressure. We've said to keep an eye on that, and um, it looks like it's still a bit of an issue. So uh, outside linebackers get a grade of C. The cornerbacks had 11 tackles. Interestingly, uh, Cody Sensabaugh was benched in the second half. When was the last yeah. time you saw that? I can't remember. 
They usually leave those corners in there to get burned over and over again. A la Antoine Blake or Artie Burns, who actually had a solid game besides missing that tackle on A.J. Green. I, I was shocked that they put Sutton in there. The guy's been practicing for like two weeks, and he did get burned for that 61-yard touchdown. Luckily, it got called back, and hey, you didn't see much happen on him after that, so maybe we'll see him get more playing time going forward. He did have they a nice were... pass. He did have a defend a nice. Uh, he had a nice pass defense at one point. That was he... that was Sensabaugh who had that, not Sutton. No, Sutton. As soon as he came in. Oh, really? Up on my screen. Well, it's exciting. I think it was the first play there. he got passed at. Well, they did. It. They were lucky to get that fifty-yard, sixty-yard touchdown called back. But other than that, you're right. They didn't really let up much big stuff besides that, and that's what the whole Cincinnati Bengals offense is based off of. So. They did okay. They still just need to improve that tackling. The worst part about those long passes is when they miss the tackle after. So they get a grade of C+. plus. And we'll finish with the safeties uh, themselves having 11 tackles. I sound like a uh, it's repetitive, but Sean Davis missing him tackles again this game. But I can't think of them too much. I think that uh, the contain was not the contain. The coverage over the top was pretty good other than those two splash plays. But I right. more attribute those to the corners. Yeah, Robert Golden just has one inexplicable vacating of his zone every game, it seems like. The guy's got some terminal ADHD. So I don't really know what's going on there. But we'll be happy when Mike Mitchell gets back. The safeties did play okay, though, and for the most part kept things in front of them. So we give the safeties a grade of B. So there you have it. A bloodbath. A bloodbath, which we came up victorious. Uh, a night again, which I stayed up until midnight. Woke up at 5.30, still thinking about the game. And uh, it's hard to give Boswell the player of the game. He certainly doesn't deserve that accolade. But man, on the toe of Chris Boswell in the last second of the game. It's kind of crazy. Chris Boswell has three game-winning field goals as time expires in the past four weeks. He's also 25 for 25 against the Bengals. <laughs> He's creeping up our Steelers year MVP rankings. I mean, no one's going to catch AB on the top of that totem pole right now, but thank goodness we have him. Next week is an enormous game. That would, by the way, lost in the violence and the trauma of that game is that is an enormous win because you're playing the since or you're playing the Baltimore Ravens who are hot as hell. They have rounded into form as we at Steelers Outpost expected them to. They're having an almost historically good defense, and they're on a three-game winning streak. They just lit up the Lions, scoring 44 points on them, and they're coming into Pittsburgh. So you got to feel good about Pittsburgh's chance against any team in the league. But this is going to be a very tough one. The Ravens are making a playoff push as well. So it is very crucial that the Steelers got that inter- divisional game against the Bengals because this is gonna be a tough one this week on a short week without Ryan Shazier and yeah. without Juju Smith-Schuster well surging they are three game win streak 90 points in the last in those three games 44 this past week against the Lions so uh it'll it'll be a contest yeah and I guarantee everyone wants to keep talking about how Mike Tomlin is looking past them to the Patriots I guarantee you nobody in the Steelers building is looking past the Ravens. Oh, right if now. you watch the Twitter feed, they were saying that in, before the game even started yesterday. So, yeah, ridiculous. absolutely. Well, Steelers 23, Cincinnati Bengals 20. Steelers run their record at 10 and 2. And um, we have another midnight game. I'm sorry, 830 game on Sunday against the Ravens. So, we want to thank you for joining us. Please talk to us through Twitter, Steelers Outpost. You can visit us at www.steelersoutpost.com and drop us a message at steelersoutpost at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know how you liked it, guys. I think that this game was a little bit bigger than football, so we wanted to cover a lot of that stuff and some of the extracurriculars at the beginning. Always open to suggestions with our format, what you guys like to hear, what you don't like to hear. And thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. Let's be excited. The Steelers are at 10-2. and The ball keeps rolling. All right. Again, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, bye-bye. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. 
Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. 